It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. We all get knocked down, but you've got to get up again. Hi, everybody. You know, this podcast began, in case you don't know, as kind of a desire of mine. As you know, I anchor a daily one-hour show on Fox Business and X commercials. It's really only about 47 minutes to jam in news of the day, great interviews with business leaders, and, of course, always breaking news, right? It's like this massive daily sprint that sometimes leaves me a little out of breath after each show, but always leaves me thinking, I wish I had more time to tell the stories behind the successes. So I had formulated this idea, start a podcast that focuses on not just the success of these amazing individuals, but rather on the climb. So I talked about it with my brilliant assistant, Tanya Joseph, and together we came up with Everyone Talks to Liz. I instantly crowned her my producer, and with her energy and guidance, we launched it in May, and it has blossomed into something greater than we ever imagined. The stories we found, the people we have profiled, all leave our listeners, we hope, with the idea that you've got to go through hell before you get to heaven. No one finds glittering success without slogging through some mud, falling occasionally, and tripling and stumbling a lot. I kind of see our subjects and all they've been through as so inspirational and aspirational that sometimes I'm driving home thinking just one thing. Failure is delay. It's not defeat. So as we barrel toward the new year, I'd like to take a look back at some of the most incredible snippets from Everyone Talks to Liz guests and their stories. You know, our first ever podcast guest set the bar very high. I had discovered this guy, Khalil Rafati, at his organic acai bowl chain, where he sells health food way before I found the actual guy himself, Khalil. I was in Malibu, and my sister and I stopped by Sun Life Organics, and one spoonful of his crushed frozen acai berries and granola treat, and the angels sang. Ah! Little did I know that there was a point in Khalil's life before he became this multimillionaire, globe-trotting organic food king, where there were no angels, only drug addiction, demons, and even near death. I want to begin by reaching back in time to that moment where EMTs were trying to bring you back to life. Definitely the scariest moment of my life. I mean, I was dead. I was definitely dead. I was floating above my body, and I was watching the EMTs try to revive me, but I didn't know that that's what was going on. And then there was a very, very, very painful feeling in my chest area, and um, all of a sudden, bam, I was no longer above my body. I was inside my body, and my eyes opened, and I saw all the people hovering over me, um, I had an oxygen mask on, and then I went back and I started to float again. And that happened maybe three or four times. And I remember hearing them say, like, we're losing him, we're losing him. And um, and then the painful feeling again, which, you know, obviously in hindsight, I didn't realize it at the time, but they were using a defibrillator on me. Mm-hmm. And it really, really hurt. And, um, and that was sort of it. I, I came to, they got me in a stretcher, they put me in the ambulance, and they 
did their best to keep me stable until they got me to the uh, to the emergency room in Santa Monica. And I will never forget this woman holding my hand and just kept saying over and over again, you know, focus on the good things, focus on the good things. And I could see that she was really alarmed. And I started to try to talk to her, but I couldn't because I had the oxygen mask on. And she kept saying, focus on the good things, focus on the good things. And finally, I, you know, went to make the motion to remove the oxygen mask. And she removed it. And and then I said, there aren't any. And I just cried. And she cried. And it was one of those, like, you know, human being to human being moments. And, um, yeah, it was it was definitely... Definitely one of the lowest points in my life and most certainly the scariest moment of my life. Today, Khalil is expanding his chain and his happiness at breakneck speed. And from health food to pizza, of all things, you know, we went nuts over the story of Kurdish immigrant Haki Akdenes. This kid arrives in New York City in the dead of winter, speaking no English, zero friends or family, only enough money to last a couple of weeks, and then ends up in a homeless shelter all alone before eventually landing a job washing dishes at a pizza restaurant in New Jersey. I mean, New Jersey, that's like indignity. Okay, you guys know I live in New Jersey. I'm allowed to rip New Jersey. That was the launching point of what would become a million-dollar pizza restaurant called Champion Pizza. The reason, yeah, I come to New York City, uh, one of my brother's friend, when I come here in 2001, I was going to go stay in his house. Mm-hmm. He, he, he used to come to Canada, visit my brother. I see. And all the time he said, when he come to New York, past like before I was going to come here six months before that, he told me, just call me and you come stay with me and I get you a job, you know, until you make everything perfect. Then when I come here, I stay in bus station for like, first day when I come, I call him. He said, call me in two hours. And two hours later, I call him. He said, give me another call. So keep Give me hope, like, until, like, you no, know, like, midnight, mm-hmm. like, maybe until 12. So I wait over there. I don't go nowhere. I say, he may come. So I stay in station until next day. So the next day, I call him again, like, 8.31. He said, come on, man, it's too early. So I hang up. Oh. I call him again all day, just like that. Right. Keep calling, calling until, like, next day. I call him again. Then he says something, but he said, come on, what kind of person? You keep calling me, calling me. He hang up the phone. The moment he hang up, I say, you know what? He's not going to come pick me up. Oh. And But it's okay. I'm so happy that he didn't pick me up, actually. Because if he picked me up, I will not be here today. What do you remember of those first 48 hours where you got out on the street and thought, what am I going to do? You know, the life is always is challenging. So, like, a, like I told you, I come over here with a big dream. I tell you, know, like, I'm going to come. I'm going to have a house. I'm going to stay with him. He's going to find a job for me. And he always, when he come there, oh, you're very fast, pizza man. You're really good. If you come to New York, you will make like over a thousand a week, which is like four thousand a month. I said, wow, that's a lot of money. I will make forty-eight thousand yearly. And in Canada, you make like fifteen thousand. I said, that's huge money. So I always calculate money. You know, like I'm gonna go to New York. I'm gonna make money. Open my pizza with you. I always have the dream to open my business. And life, I always say, you know what? It's not about a how smart you are, whatever, how big or how small, whatever you are. It just you should not give up. Believe yourself. And if you believe it, you're going to achieve it. Look, I always say we should not give up. Whatever we do in our life, we cannot give up. Because a, the moment you give up and anything, that's me. You don't live for something. Today, Hockey is a multimillionaire with seven restaurants all over Manhattan and Brooklyn. But every Monday and Wednesday night to this day, he returns to the homeless shelter where he had stayed at years earlier 
and serves free pizza slices to the residents. The American dream is really something that all our guests possess and fight for. James Byler is an American with one dream he's had since he was just a tiny child to serve in the U.S. military. As dreams do come true, they can morph into nightmares. It's what James did after his living nightmare that makes him such a hero. I sort of always had this thought in my mind for whatever reason that I was either going to come back in one piece, much, you know, maybe taking minor injuries or I was going to die. It was going to be one of those two extremes. I didn't really imagine there would be kind of like a, a almost sort of middle ground where I'd be catastrophically wounded, but not, you know. You're walking down a dusty alleyway mm-hmm. and there's a skirmish. Yeah. Yeah. Describe yeah. what happened. I don't exactly remember because it kind of rocked me pretty hard what precisely happened. But um, I had stopped off the beaten trail that um, I had just walked down and everyone else had just ran down. But like several of us had run by this place. um, And, you know, I just one false step off the beaten path. And, um, you know, that's that's all it took. That's all it takes. Um, You know, one bad step and, you know, you're a casualty. You know, it's a. it's a very unforgiving environment. And, um, you know, the uh, next thing I knew, I'm laying in a cloud of dust. I, I never went unconscious the entire time. Was, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember the whole thing, dude. Like, it, some guys, they, they step on IEDs and they come back to consciousness in uh, Walter Reed, you know, back in the States days later. Um, I call them lucky. You're better off that way. Um I remember laying on my side, um, looking at my hands, my wrists, um, feeling for my legs and just kind of feeling bloody stumps. Um, I, I remember that. Um, I remember seeing like my pinky hanging off the end by like a thread. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, this is getting a little graphic and is that okay, cool. Well, it's real. <laughs> um, but I remember looking at all these things and like, just damn it, James, you stepped on one, didn't you? You know, I, I can't explain why I came out the way I did or anyone else. I, I had no brain damage. I had no, um, I, I, I don't really have PTSD. Um, I, I only lost my pinkies, not my other fingers. I, I don't know how that happened. You know, um, you, you consider yourself lucky, obviously. Well, yeah, I'm alive. Yes. Of course. Of course. I, I, I know you eventually made it to Walter Reed mm. hospital back in America and you're immediately hit with what? Multiple surgeries. Yeah. Yeah, I did at least 20. At least 20. 20 surgeries. Yeah. Was there any point where you said, I'm out, I can't, this is just crazy? Um, I never said that out loud, but I think I, I thought it to myself a lot. I think I stared at some of the life support and contemplated yanking the plug out. <laughs> it, it, it's horrible. It's horrible what you have to go through. And um, yeah, I, I had my dark moments. Captain Byler lost both legs, but he never lost his fight. Today, he's a star trader at Barclays Bank. Abby Lee Miller, do you know her? She showed us what it means to climb for years, succeed, and then come crashing down in a hail of debris from bankruptcy and prison to cancer. What was it like going from the toast of reality TV to handing over your personal effects and hearing the prison door lock behind you? Uh, scary, scary. That drive to Victorville, California was insane. 
of course, Lifetime was filming it, even when it said, no cameras, and you see the barbed wire and you're driving in, they're laying on the floor with cameras. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> they took away all my, uh, you know, my luxuries. I couldn't go to the commissary. I wasn't allowed to use the phone, this, that, and the other thing, because the fourth day I was there, I was speaking in code. What I said the men had sickled feet, and they wrote down pickled feet. <laughs> And it was some kind of gang code. I'm like, for what? This is ridiculous. And all my luxuries were taken away from me. It was horrible, you know? And so, I mean, I just, they were just so out to get me for every little thing. I was examined with a microscope from morning, you know, when I woke up until my last, you know, moment before I went to sleep at night. And just coming into my room and slamming my locker over, taking cherry soda, shaking it up, spilling it all over your clothes. I mean, they just did things to ride you, ride you, ride you, ride you. And, uh, you know, it was it was crazy. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. But was it the best thing for me? No. Could my whole cancer, uh, misdiagnosis, all of this, could that have been caused by taking me off cold turkey, that medication? The diabetes medication, the thyroid medication, absolutely, yes. They don't like to take medication? Oh, well, they took me off mine cold turkey. They said I didn't need it anymore. Was there a moment ever at night where you'd experienced something and you just, you know, tears came to your eyes? Many times. In prison? Many times. I I mean, I was scared to death, but I did make friends. Uh, These are wonderful women, and when I'm off probation, I will contact them, and we will be friends for the rest of our lives. So does any of this collective experience show up in some way, shape, or form in your personality in the new season? No. None at all? No, I think going to prison hardens you. I don't think it makes you softer by any means. So you're still, you're still riding the kids, right? I'm still riding the kids. After all her drama, Abby served in prison. She beat cancer. She's got her show back. Oh, yeah. Dance Moms on cable. A common theme across all of our podcasts is absolute persistence. No one exhibits persistence better than Eric Yuan. This is a guy, a Chinese national, who got rejected eight times when trying to get a visa to move to the United States. He finally got granted one. He arrived from China and started Zoom video conferencing. To start an internet business at, in, at that time, because it's toured in China, However, uh, the, the Yahoo or, or Netscape was so successful here in Silicon Valley. Yeah. I, I really wanted to come here to join the first wave of Internet Revolution. And then you said, how do I go about doing this? So For sure, apply, I, need right? a, I need to get a visa. I thought of that very easy, right? To mm-hmm. get a visa to come here to take a look. But uh, unfortunately, I got a decline. The first time I tried it eight times. Nice attempt. I was successful when I came here. Is already 1997. Oh, so ninth time was the charm. Didn't you feel at certain points like giving up? Some people, in fact, many people give up after the first no. Surely, a lot of people give up after the fourth, and by the seventh, forget it. It's just not going to work. What kept you? What was inside you that kept you pursuing and persisting? I think first of all, the good news was that I never thought about giving up. And I already told myself, I told my wife, hey, as long as they, they let, me, let me try, I will try maybe 20 times, 30 times, that's okay. 
And because I really, you know, wanted to, you know, come to Silicon Valley to embrace, you know, the first wave of internet revolution. And uh, no matter how many, how many times, as long as they let me try, I, 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 I never thought about giving up. You know, there's a famous baseball player who once said, you can't beat a man who just won't give up. And that sounds like you. By the way, when Zoom went public this year, Eric became an instant billionaire. That brings me to IMAX CEO Rich Gelfond, who came from very humble beginnings and scratched his way to the top by landing his first job at age eight, shining shoes on Long Island. The economic um, anxiety was always part of growing up. One of the things I've observed is people react to their environments in different ways. And in my case, I think the economic anxiety is something I said, you know, that's not going to be me. First job I remember was when I was eight years old, and I um, I had built a shoe shine kit, and I put it on my bicycle, and I used to drive to the ride to the local barber shop on Saturdays, and I would shine people's shoes, and I remember, and you have to remember this was in the early '60s, you know, getting my first one dollar tip, which is like incredible. I thought, you know, I was the richest kid in the neighborhood. But I did that on Saturdays, and um, and then I started a series of businesses. I realized that if I ever wanted to escape that situation, that I was going to have to do it myself. And, you know, I had a series of crazy jobs over the years. I mowed lawns when I was in junior high and high school. But instead of just going out and mowing lawns and charging $3, I started the High School Gardeners Association which of course was just me. But <laughs> but it sounded uh, big. But I had a picture on it. I remember it was like the Beverly Hillbillies old house <laughs> before and then the mansion after. And I said, this could be you. And, you know, I said, call the Gardeners Association. And then I would answer the phone, hello, high school gardeners. And then I would go out and mow the lawn. But I could charge $5 instead of $3 because I, I learned the value of marketing earlier on. Tough childhoods are one thing, but John Dorenboss, the star NFL player, faced true horror at the age of 12 when his father murdered his mother. I love both my parents. Wow. She sounded like an amazing woman. Uh, Yes, our listeners just heard me say past tense. Tell me what happened on August 2nd of 1992. Yeah, so I was across the street playing with friends and we had a a bell on on like an old school bell on our patio. And when the bell rang, that means it's time to come home because he didn't have cell phones and pagers. Right. So the, the, the bell rang and I went home. And my dad and I hung out that night and I didn't really think anything of it. Um, obviously looking back, maybe, but uh, my mom wasn't home, which was kind of rare. But I said, hey, where's mom? Oh, she's out you know, for a walk with some friends. Okay, no problem. So my dad and I hung out. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning to get ready for a baseball camp and my mom wasn't home. And so I said, hey, where's mom? Oh, she went swimming at the club with her friend. I, oh, okay, later guys, I'm out. So when I went to baseball camp, uh, my dad then turned himself in. So that night he murdered my mom before I came home and he used a bench grinder and a sledgehammer. It was really bad. And so when I came home, he kept me from it. I went to bed. Uh, he cleaned the garage and did whatever he, he repainted and did whatever he had to do. Totally unbeknownst to you. I had no clue. And you were the only child in the house. Yeah. Yeah. My sister was out of town. My brother was out of town. And then he got me out of the house and then uh, he turned himself in to the King County Sheriff the next day. How does a 12-year-old wrap their minds around hearing 
your mom is dead, first of all, but murdered by your own father. You know, you're, you're, you're young enough that you're a kid, but you're not young enough that you don't remember and that you don't understand the magnitude of the situation. And so I was 12 years old, and I remember I, I got picked up early from the baseball camp because there was an accident, right? And my friend's parents came and got me. That's what they told you. That's what they told me, yeah. And now in my mind, it's my dad probably broke his ribs playing soccer. That, that's really what I thought. So we went to the police station, and when they told me the news, um, you, you don't believe it, right? I mean, you're just, you're, you're trying to, gra- like, what's going on? And, and keep in mind, I wasn't really exposed to that world as a kid yet. Like, I didn't know what murder was. I didn't know what death was, you know? And so um, I couldn't tell you if I was there five minutes or if I was there all day. You know, I remember crying. Uh, and, and what I was told is that they got in an argument, my mom got pushed, and she fell, and that she's no longer with us. So at that moment... Y- it doesn't dawn on you that your dad killed your mom and, and you're kind of sheltering you from information. And so in my mind, okay, my, my mom's gone, but dad's going to be coming home. And I, I don't know, I guess we're going to figure this out. Like what's this life going to be like, but you don't hear the news yet that your, your dad killed your mom and it's, it's, you lost both parents. If I sat down and shuffled cards, it was the only thing that the world quieted. It was the only thing that just, everything just went away. And I felt like I was just a kid in a moment of being a kid again playing in my backyard, you know, building forts and just pretending about this world. That was the only thing that brought me back to that, that place. And then I found 52 buddies in a deck of cards that never lie to me. And they always tell me when I'm wrong, man, you don't have to be religious. You don't have to be spiritual, but like from a story to tell myself, I was traded to new Orleans, the new Orleans saints. I was traded to new Orleans to have my life saved by a saint. And you know what? In the moment that literally I could have died, all I had to do is step out of the wind and catch a breeze. And there it was. Instead of stop and smell the roses, I had to step out of the wind and catch a breeze. And I realized if I play, I die. So you know what? I think I'd rather live. And then I didn't feel bitter and resentful. And it was just the way it was meant to be. Today, John's got a Super Bowl ring and a recurring spot on the show Ellen as her star magician. You know, these podcasts can really elicit true emotion. Logan Paul, the YouTube star, he's a hilarious guy, but he almost shed a tear on Everyone Talks to Liz when he started to talk about his father. Do your parents still live in Ohio? Yeah, they do. And I love them, by the way. Do they want to come out here to California? I, I, I convince, I try to convince them. I love it when they visit me. Like, I love my mother. She's so sweet. My dad, just a hoot. What do they do? Do they work? My dad, my mom, no. No. Mm-hmm. no. And dad? No. Like, no. like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what did they do? Uh, my mom used to be a nurse. Okay. And my dad was a realtor. And then the, the uh, housing market crashed, as you know, 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he became a project manager for a roofing company. And now he's just kind of an odd, odd jobs guy. He got varicose vein in his legs. I, I paid for the surgery, fixed them right up. That doesn't have anything to do with what you're saying. No, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, know. you, our listeners love to hear this stuff. Okay, yeah, he had varicose veins in his leg, and he sent. I was like, I would go, Dad, what's good? And there's these little like worms running through his his calf. Mm-hmm. You know, I love this man. He's like, yo, I need thirteen thousand dollars for the surgery. I go, I got you. So wired in the oh. money. He's all good to go. Well, I, he had you when you were a kid. He had so, your back. Yeah, for sure. It was weird hearing my dad. Like, thank me. He goes, you don't know how much this means to me. And I literally, I'm, th- I'm about to cry even just thinking about it. I was like, oh, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to get emotional. Wait, stop. Oh, uh, I had to like explain to my dad that everything I've ever done and all my successes are because of him. And 
$13,000 to fix his leg is like the least I can do to show gratitude for this amazing life he's, he's set me up with. Paying them back. I, I wish I could do more. Our guests always carried on one foot in front of the other, no matter how hard they fell. Uh, listen, we've had plenty of fun here on Everyone Talks to Liz. How can you not when Charlie Gasparino, my Fox business evil alter ego, <laughs> joined us to talk about his life and childhood climb? Well, what was I, your impression I, of Liz? I, oh, I loved her from day one. Um, really? Because I despised Aww. you. The red hair. <laughs> The red hair stands out. <laughs> when word came that Charlie was coming, I was so happy because, I mean, this is a gritty, tough, nose-to-the-grindstone journalist, shoe leather, the whole thing, fabulous. So I thought, oh, now we're going to really get there. Day one, he arrives. Now, remember, uh, Tiger Woods oh, had yes, left golf. Huge scandal, you know, with the, the the big argument with his wife and the cheating and on the texts and the sexting and all of that. He had been out of golf, thought, you know, life's too short to stay in the same place. And Kevin McGee, the guy who was running the business channel, right. said to me, you know, glory goes to those who take chances in life. And my dad, who's no longer with us, used to say, Liz, dive in, even if you don't know how shallow or deep the water is, because that's that's where the real gains can be made. So I was there well before Charlie. Not well before a year or two. Well, when did you arrive? 2010. Okay, I was 2007. Well, it, it started what, when? October 2007. Okay. Don't mess. Please don't fight that me. Late, I'm always so, going to win. So that's two years. It's a competition. Years. Yeah. So, but, but when word came that Charlie was coming, I was so happy because, I mean, this is a gritty, tough, nose-to-the-grindstone journalist, shoe leather, the whole thing, fabulous. So I thought, oh, now we're going to really get there. Day one, he arrives. Now, remember, uh, Tiger Woods oh, had yes, left golf. Huge scandal, you know, with the, the the big argument with his wife and the cheating and on the texts and the sexting and all of that. He had been out of golf. The day Charlie arrives, he runs on the set. I'm thinking, doesn't he have to go to HR and sign all these papers first, you know, and, I and get a tour? I, I wasn't quite officially on air yet. Like, yeah. I didn't get the, the, the past the HR. I signed the contract, but I didn't do the formal, yeah. like, you know, here's your badge. So the, the guy <laughs> runs onto the set and breaks the news on my show with David Asman right. that that Tiger Woods was going to re-enter golf. He was coming back. Right. And I got that because I knew one of his sponsors. One of his sponsors was a major bank. That's what I cover. And, you know, landed on my in my in my lap that day. And I said, what the hell? Let's try to, like, uh, get this on the air. What is life anyway if you don't try and fail? Because if you're not failing, it means you're not out there. You're not aiming for the stars and, yeah, falling hard. But you pick yourself back up again. As we always like to say on this show, nobody gets to see a rainbow without having to fight through some heavy rain. What we've learned from all of our guests is that we can achieve great heights in the American dream. In this coming new year, we hope you share these inspirational stories with your family and friends. And please, from these guests and from these podcasts, I want you to listen and think to yourself, I'm going to chase my wildest dreams. Happy New Year from all of us at Everyone Talks to Liz. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.